Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And the Lord Jesus Christ considers how persons treat believers, and he says, it's just like they're treating me. Just like Joseph was considering how his brothers were treating Benjamin as they treated him. And the Lord Jesus made this very clear when he said this discourse about this in Matthew 25, and starting in verse 32, Matthew 25, 32. And I'm going to read it now, and I want you, as I read it, think of Joseph sitting as the silent judge watching and observing how his brothers treated Benjamin and then judging his brothers based on how they treated Benjamin. Now just think about it as I read this, Matthew 35, 25, 32, 25, 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations, there's the brothers, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. Sick, you visited me. In prison, you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him and saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger, took thee in. Naked, clothed thee. When saw we thee sick and in prison and came unto thee. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them in the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil as angels. I was hungered, you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you took me not in. Naked, you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, a thirsted, stranger, naked, sick, prison, did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it not unto me, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal." That's the whole picture here, with Joseph setting up Benjamin as his representative and watching how the brothers treated him. Now, we return now to pick up where we left off, and we saw in verse 12 that the silver cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Verse 13, we saw how all the brothers tore their clothes in an act of complete shame and guilt And we saw in verse 13, they all returned back to the city. And now it's very significant as we see their entrance into Joseph's house. What it says in verse 14, the brothers came to Joseph's house. And then it says, let me say this again. 
What it does not say in verse 13, verse 14, it's very significant. What it says there is that Judah and his brethren came into Joseph's house. It's very important that it puts it that way. Judah and his brethren. It doesn't say his brethren, his brethren alone, but it says Judah and his brethren. Why? Well, the safeguard. It wasn't called the safeguard. Anyway, the, the safety is something, the one who was going to stand in for Benjamin if he doesn't bring him back. But what we see here in verse 14 is that Judah is really stepping forward now as the leader of his brothers. This is not the first time that Judah is doing this, but we see him now stepping forward here as leader of the brothers. Now, as a matter of fact, there was someone else who sought to step forward as a spokesman for the brothers to Jacob. You remember who that was? That was Reuben. That was Reuben. Reuben tried to be the leader and the spokesman for his brothers, and and he thought he had a a really great idea that if he didn't bring Benjamin back, that that Jacob could kill two of his grandsons. So that that didn't fly. And so that proposal, you know, that Reuben made, it caused him to fall from his position of really should have been the spokesman and leader of his brothers because he was the firstborn. But Judah, he, in that situation, he emerged as the new leader of his brothers when he convinced Jacob to send Benjamin. And this is all for us. We saw this in the last chapter of Genesis 43.3. Genesis 43.3, where it says, And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And then it said in verse 8, Genesis 43.8, 43.8, Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me. And we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and our little ones. So what we see here in this verse that we're looking at now is that Judah is the leader of his brothers. And it's surprising for us to see Judah take the lead. Judah, is he's not the firstborn, as we said. Reuben is the firstborn. He should have been the leader. Judah's not even the secondborn. That was Simeon. Simeon, if Judah falls, then Simeon should take over. Judah's not even the thirdborn. That was Levi. I mean, Judah taking this leadership position for the brothers, he's the fourthborn, is totally unexpected. It's just a surprise. It's just like out of the blue. It's totally unexpected. It's surprising to see Judah take the lead, but it's prophetic. Because Judah here is a prophetic symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking the lead. And that was surprising, the Lord Jesus taking the lead. Why? He wasn't from a prominent family in Israel, as you would expect a leader to be. He wasn't even born and raised in Jerusalem, the capital, at the feet of some great teacher. But his background was surprising, like Judas, he, that he should become the leader and the king of the Jews. I mean, the Lord's background is described in a very, very unexpected and surprising way when it says in Isaiah 53 two, Isaiah 53 two, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form, no comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Each one of those descriptions gives you the impression of unexpected, 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 surprise, surprise, surprise. His, his description as a root out of a dry ground. No one expects a root to grow that comes out of a dry ground. And no one expects Judah to become the leader of his brethren. But the Lord did grow as a root out of a dry ground. In fact, his name, just the name that's revealed 
for us in Scripture in Isaiah 11.1. Isaiah 11.1 where it says, He shall come forth as a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. His name is a branch. A branch. He's just a little rod out of a stem. He's just a branch. As a matter of fact, that becomes his name in Zechariah 6.12. Zechariah 6.12 says, Speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall build the temple, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of priests, peace, shall be between them both. The Lord's name is the branch. And as we see Judah here taking the lead position for his brothers, and we see really from this, this is why the people are called Jews, because they're named after Judah as their leader, the unexpected leader, the surprising one who came out. And so the term Jew is really a prophecy of the coming day when the Jews will fulfill the reason why they're called Jews, (laughs) when they will fulfill their destiny, and they'll follow the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we study this portion here and we see how Judah is emerging as the leader and what he says, and all the other brothers are, are like, wow, we didn't know you had it in you, Judah, you know, and uh, we're just stepping back in the background here and you be our speaker. Spokes. No one else speaks to the governor except for Judah. And so we have to keep in mind the prophetic significance when the Jewish people finally will fulfill their eternal calling to follow Judah, follow their king, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the tribe of Judah. That's why it says in Hebrews 7.14, Hebrews 7.14, again, speaking about the surprise of it all, when it said, it's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. See, by using that word sprang in Hebrews 7.14 to refer how the Lord surprisingly came out of Judah is what we're seeing here as Judah surprisingly sprang to the top, and he's now the intercessor to the governor. He's like the priest to the governor on behalf of the brothers. So now the brothers have entered the house, and they fall totally on the ground. And they didn't calmly, you know, with due ceremony, take a bow. They fell down And when they fell down, they didn't say, well, now let's find a clean spot on the floor here. That's where we'll fall, you know. (laughs) They fell to the ground. They were broken. They were just broken. And now Joseph asked them two questions in verse 15. Verse 15, he says, Joseph said unto them, what deed is this that you have done? What you not that such a man as I, and that's important, such a man as I can certainly divine. So his first question is, what have you done? In the Hebrew, it's, uh, there are five words that are here, and they come across as sharp and a staccato and a demand, and it literally reads in the Hebrew, what, the deed, the this, that you did. That's the way it comes across. It's very, very demanding. And the question is, again, to see the test. He's testing them to see what are they going to say. You know, this is the question that God asked Adam and Eve after they had sinned. It says in Genesis 3, 9, Genesis 3, 9, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? 
And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because of naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the, the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? The man said, The woman whom thou gavest, who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So God knew he knew, of course he knew that what Adam had done. He knew he'd eaten the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was forbidden. And he says, hast thou eaten of the tree? Wherever I commanded, thou shalt not eat it. And just like Joseph, God tested Adam if he was going to admit that he had sinned. And if he was going to accept the full responsibility of himself, if he was going to fall on the ground like the brothers. But sadly, that's not what happened with Adam. Adam didn't. Instead, he put the blame on his wife, and he put the blame on God. He said, you're the one who gave me such a woman. <laughs> In verse 12, and the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So Adam said, the fault was not with him, it was with the woman. And as a matter of fact, the fault is with you, God, because you gave her to me. And she was the one who gave me the fruit to eat, and I never disobeyed my wife, so that's the way it goes. <laughs> and then and then God turned to Eve and asked her the same question that he asked the same question that Joseph asked the brothers, what is this that thou hast done? And sadly, she also did not admit her guilt when she said in, in verse 13, in Genesis 3.13, Genesis 3.13, the, the serpent beguiled me in an I did eat. So just as God tested Adam and Eve to see if they would admit that they were guilty. So Joseph tests now the brothers by asking them in verse 15, what deed is this that you have done? That was Joseph's first question. And then his second question in that same verse 15 is, what ye not that such a man as I, such a man as I can certainly divine. See, with this question, Joseph is asking them, what is your opinion of me? What is your estimation of me? What do you think of me? You think I can't find out? So the first question, he's testing there to see, are they really going to answer like Adam and Eve did? And the question is, you know, were the brothers going to be like Adam and Eve and blame someone else? You know, well, it must have been that steward of yours. He's always doing those things, you know. <laughs> or, you know, or were the brothers going to say, just like we came down here and we learned that, that it was the steward who put the money in the sack. Must have been him. He put the, say, yes, that's it. It's the steward. We're innocent. We're blameless, see, like Adam and Eve. Or, which actually was the case, but okay, never mind. <laughs> All right. But that's the question that God is asking to every person. God is asking to every person. And what did you do? And depending on the answer, that determines whether the person either has or doesn't have a future with God, a friendship with God, a relationship with God. It all depends on how they answer, verse 15, what deed is this that you have done? If a person answers by putting the blame on somebody else or the, the person has no future with God. If the person says, well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about what a good person I am. Then the person has no future with God. So this is the test question that determines for every person if they have or they don't have a future with God. And that's the test question that Joseph put to his brothers that would determine if they had a future with Joseph or not. And the second question that he asked them, what you not that such a man as I certainly divine, that's further designed, first of all, it terrifies them. 
Because with this question, Joseph is asking them, you really think that I could not find out what happened to my cup? He's asking them, what do you think about me as the governor? Now, did they think that, you know, did you think I had no power to find out who took the cup? They really think that you could get away with stealing the cup? And what Joseph's doing here is very skillful. Because now Joseph is now playing the role of God. And making the stealing of the cup like the selling of Joseph as a slave. So when Joseph asks them, don't you think that such a person as I can find out who stole my cup? Now, when he's playing the role of God here, he's asking them that if they thought that Joseph couldn't find out their sin about stealing the cup, Joseph was really saying, don't you think that God can find out that you sold your brother as a slave? He's not saying that, but that's the implication. By asking him this question, do you really think that you could hide from me that you stole the cup? Joseph is really asking them, you really think that you can hide from God that you sold your brother as a slave? So by telling his brother that he found out that they stole the cup, Joseph is leading his brothers to see that God found out that they sold Joseph as a slave. This is very skillful. It's also very terrifying because when they hear this, what they're really hearing Joseph is saying is that, look, what I suspect turns out to be true. What I suspect actually is true. I suspected that you stole the cup And that's why we went after you, and that was true. I also suspected that you were spies, and the penalty for being a spy is death. Now, Judah now, as we said here, he speaks for the brothers in verse 16. Then Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. When verse 16 starts off by saying, and Judah said, this will be Judah's speech. He's going to start it in verse 16. He's going to continue in verse 18, all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 34. And what we have here in these 18 verses is maybe the most beautiful speech in all of the Old Testament. This speech, Judah excels. There's a wisdom in what Judah says here that we don't see this in any other in the Old Testament. There's a boldness here. He doesn't give up. It comes across with an eloquence which is natural. It's a natural eloquence. There's a tenderness here that he's going to bring in that we haven't seen before. There's a passion in Judah's words here. And what, what really characterizes Judah's talk here is this the sweetness of this simplicity. He's like a child. He's so transparent. Judah, you could just see right through him. You just get the impression he's holding nothing back from plain view. I mean, he's just turning himself inside out, nothing to hide. And as a result, what he says here, his arguments are moving and they're effective as he's making intercession for his brothers. And you can just imagine the brothers are just saying, go, Judah, go. (laughs) You're doing a great job, you know. So as we see Judah here pleading, which is what he's doing, this is what intercession looks like. This is a picture of intercession. We see Judah here making intercession, and he's so effective for his brothers, and we can see the Lord Jesus pleading and making intercession for us to God the Father, as it says in Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25 says, wherefore he is able 
to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And then it says in, in uh, at the last part of 53rd chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 12, God says, he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's his arguing ability. That's his pleading ability. That's what we're seeing here in Judah. In Hebrews 9.24, it says, Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. For us. That's intercession. It says in Romans 8.34, Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? Christ died. Yea, rather is risen again, is even at the right hand of God. Who is he who, who also maketh intercession for us? So, when you read this speech here that Judy gives, it's just amazing that we have all these details. We got to remember here, the writer is Moses. What happened here happened hundreds and hundreds of years before, 400 years before at least. And what's so amazing, I mean, think about that. That's like almost twice the age of our country. We're writing about something that happened, I don't know what happened 400 years ago. It was a long time ago. But what's so amazing here is how God gave Moses such an understanding of what happened on this day with all these details that we can just see Moses writing this all down from the mouth of God. And Judah, he's going to blend so skillfully a plea for Benjamin, and then he's going to bring in the plea for Jacob, his father. And this is really some ability. Now, it shows us as the brothers are like, yes, Judah, speak for us. None of us are going to speak. It shows us one word the brothers had in Judah. It's the word confidence. They had, as they saw Judah do this, and the more he spoke, the more they had confidence in Judah. And that's what faith is. Faith is confidence. They had confidence in Judah. They had faith in Judah. And seeing the brothers just sit back as Judah speaks and seeing this confidence that they had in Judah, it shows us what faith, what our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith for us is to be like the brothers, sit back and let our Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, represent us and intercede for us. And we could imagine that how after hearing what Judah said in these last verses, how the brothers must have praised Judah and said, well, hooray, what a lawyer. He is great. Those closing arguments were fabulous. You know? Praise. They praised Judah. The brethren praised Judah. That, that is the reason why Jacob, on his deathbed, said about Judah in Genesis 49.8, Genesis 49.8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. It's you, Judah. It's you whom your brothers are going to praise. And they certainly were praising Judah on this day when he spoke to the governor and he pleaded for their mercy. So this is the point of praise that we thank the Lord Jesus for. It's his ability. It's his wisdom. It's his boldness. It's his tenderness. It's his simplicity to make intercession for us. We praise the Lord Jesus just as the brothers praised Judah for making this effective intercession for them.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.